So, yeah, let's get into it a little bit. You, you guys have probably guessed from the sermon title, if you hadn't guessed from the, from the call to worship and the prayers and even the Old Testament reading, you've probably guessed that transformation and renewal and regeneration have really been on my mind this last week. Now, I don't see Liz hanging out with us today because I'm sure she'd call me on this, but the, the fact that this comes in the same week as uh, a big series of Doctor Who episodes shouldn't be no surprise to anybody. But honestly, God, change and transformation have been on everybody's mind for the last five to 10 years, doubly so in the church and triply so since COVID. I mean, it is really just for this time, it's become clear to all of us that we just can't keep doing church in the same exact way that we always have. I mean, we've been, we have been trying. God knows we have been trying to keep shoring up the walls of the great institutional church, determined to do everything in our power to keep this thing from crumbling away like sand. And this desire has given rise to just so many different movements and theories and programs and initiatives and other things at every level of every denomination of the great universal church. It makes sense, really. I mean, it does. Well, this isn't true of everybody, I admit. A lot of us do have a very deep and wonderful, long memory of the church as being this powerful, unshakable, massive presence in our lives. When we think back to the church as, as we knew it when we were kids, we see the institution, we see it in our mind's eye in kind of the same way that a lot of us remember our parents as kind of like unspeakably huge, 47-foot-tall giants, archons of divinity and authority, unfailingly solid ground to which we could swim at any time of uncertainty or difficulty, well firm and secure in that unyielding assurance that this is the place. This is the place where we can always find support, passion, and answers to all of our deepest, most troubling, most fundamental questions. I mean, for me, for me at least, church was a place where I found community when all other communities had failed. It was a place where I could sing when all other songs were denied, a place where I could always count on my, my talents being uplifted, my thoughts and ideas being heard, and my whole self surrounded by that great, crowd of witnesses, and I do mean a great crowd, fellow travelers on God's journey, all prepared to, to teach and empower and share wisdom with me as I walk through the, the difficult and confusing paths of my young life. <laughs> and just as the old saying goes, how parent is often an unintentional synonym for God on the lips of unsuspecting young children, so too was it for many of us that church held a very similar meaning. And it wasn't just where we met God. It was the greatest example of God's communal love and fellowship that most of us had ever encountered. And for some of us, it's the only example of that kind of community that we have ever really encountered. Which is why it's, it's so gut-wrenchingly hard 
so emotionally brutal for us in this post-COVID church world to look around ourselves and see not some institutional titan standing boldly astride worlds of society and philosophy and culture like a ham bun eating colossus, but instead this weakened and broken shell of what once had been, pews of weathered wood sat empty save for the echoes of kind hearts and kindred spirits long passed on. It's hard to see something that was the center of so many of our lives for so long just fade away into, into history like this. So we pray, that's what we do, we're Christians, we pray, and we pray for restoration. We pray to be raised up from the ashes of our devastation. We pray for our ruins to be rebuilt, all so that the church we know today might once again be just like that wonderful thing that it was for us in the days gone by, in the days when we most needed it. Of course, this is, this is exactly what Isaiah was getting at in today's reading. Isaiah was sitting right in the middle of Israel's biggest apocalypse to date, speaking to a people who had had to sit and watch as everything important to them was stripped away. Their homes destroyed, their families ripped apart, loved ones taken away into exile and captivity. The people to whom Isaiah was speaking knew loss and grief and pain. These people had had their fill of change and they wanted no more. All they wanted, all they needed was restoration. And so their cries are intermingled here with those of God. And we wind up with an outcry to God, which would go on to form the beginning of the whole way that the people would come to understand who God is and then who the eventual Messiah would be. And it begins, as it should, with the word of God. He has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and release to the prisoners to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now you may recognize these words. These are the same words that Jesus himself chose to invoke near the beginning of his earthly ministry at his hometown in Nazareth, no less. And you might also recognize that in the moment that he did that, he chose not to continue the verse from Isaiah. He chose not to do as Isaiah did and take things one step farther into vengeance and the restoration of all that was. Isaiah goes on into these things, and he does it because he, like everybody around him, is sitting heavy with the grief of loss. So great was the pain of that community that it would have been impossible for them to even consider any kind of greater ministry of God on earth. When even restoration looks like a miracle, the idea of something greater than that is impossibility at best. So they began to understand the, the reparative and just work of God from that moment on in terms of rebuilding, clawing back up out of the pit, back to the place where they once were, and leaving the, the work of greater things for some, some other time, some later date. Their understanding of salvation is formed around this seed of restoration, being saved not to what could be, but simply to what once had been. And of course, time being what it is, this understanding took root and grew, and over time it became the basis for who the people 
understood the long-awaited Messiah to be. They were looking for somebody with an eye for rebuilding, a strong right arm to knock back the oppressors, a tactical thinker, and an inspiring leader who could rally the people together so that the ruins of the city might be raised up into a fortress strong enough to withstand anything that Rome or any other great empire might choose to throw at them ever again. <laughs> you know, but as you might have noticed, when the actual Messiah is on the way, when it falls to Mary to lift up her voice and song and tell us who it is that the incarnate son of the Almighty is going to be, what we get is not anything like that at all. Look at Mary's song for a moment. That's our second reading for today, by the way. Take a careful look. And if you look, you will find no mention of institutional restoration. There's no ruins being surveyed for rebuilding, no plans being drawn up for walls or battlements. There's no crushing historical victory of God's people against man's empire being laid out. Only the lowly being lifted up in place of the powerful and the hungry being filled from the excesses of the rich. With Christ on the way, what is identified as being important isn't the structures and institutions of old. Those things have had their time, and their utility has since fallen away. In the time of Isaiah, everyone was poor and oppressed. They had just been ground into dust by the largest empire on the block, rebuilding themselves as a single unified nation, an institution based around God's justice for the poor and the oppressed. Well, they had real divine merit in that time and in that place. In that moment, the line of God's justice ran straight smack between Israel and Babylon. But time goes on, and by the time Jesus is coming into the world, those days of oppression had long since passed, and there were plenty of wealthy and powerful people among the people of God, just as there were within the empire. The world had become an entirely different place, and what had been built by God's people to serve justice then was not serving God's justice now. God's justice hadn't changed. It never changes. God was still calling out for the oppressed to receive good news, for the brokenhearted to be bound up, for liberty to be proclaimed to the captives, for the prisoners to be released, for the lowly to be lifted up, for the hungry to be fed, and for the year of the Lord's favor to be declared. But the times had changed. And when that justice came into the world in the form of Christ Jesus, it looked nothing like the warrior king, born into power and privilege, trained and prepared to turn away empire at the tip of the sword and bring about the next great age of the gathered congregation of God's people. It looked nothing like what they would have needed in Isaiah's time. No, no. It looked like a small, helpless baby, born in the cold to an unwed teenage mother and her supportive but overwhelmed fiancé, hiding out in a barn because no one else would take them in. Not restoration, not reformation, regeneration. You know, we reformed folks, man, we love talking about reformation. And we always think about it in such fiercely binary terms, too. I mean, to us, reformation is the exact opposite of stagnation, a word that speaks of a gradual yet determined change, incremental progress, and the slow forward march of growth. Ask any reformed theologian, just go up the street to the seminary, you got a bunch of them right over there. Ask them what it means 
to be reformed. And you'll undoubtedly get that good old chestnut from Martin Luther himself. Ecclesia reformata semper reformanda. The church reformed and always being reformed. A slogan so good, our denomination stamped it right on the letterhead. You see, we tend to understand reformation, this God-inspired process of change, as being an incremental process by which we slowly change the things that are so that we can make progress, but without losing anything about who and what we already are. It's change of a kind, but it's the sort of change that prioritizes the restoration of what was over the progress towards what God might be calling us to be next. It's shoring up the walls of our sandcastle with bucket of, after bucket of sand while the tide rolls inexorably in. When our reformation stops at the walls of what we once were, we wind up fixated on these outdated understandings of justice and mercy and compassion, trying to show God to 2023 using the best tools that the 1980s have to offer. And as any parent born in the 80s who has ever tried to talk to their preteen children can tell you, that is a wholly different world right there. This is why I like to think of what we're being called to do, not as reformation per se, but as regeneration. Yeah, regeneration, and yes, the Doctor Who reference does remain intentional here. This regeneration is very much the same idea as a reformation in, in that it's a way for us to embrace change and to keep our eyes on the moving target of God's unchanging justice in an ever-changing world. But while reformation is an incremental process rooted in what was, regeneration, as I would describe it, is an immersion in change, a complete surrender of our attachment to what was and a complete embracing of the newness of what God is bringing forth in and around us. Allowing ourselves to embrace regeneration doesn't mean we become a totally different person, a totally different church, a totally in different institution. We still hold on to the memories of what came before. We cherish who we were then and appreciate all the things that God did with and through us in the times and places that were, but rather than trying to keep doing that thing, rather than trying to keep being the church that Isaiah described, we surrender our need to be bound by those terms. We let it go. And we allow everything that we have been push us forward into being something new. That sounds so easy, right? Sounds so easy, but man, Here's the thing about change, even though we embrace it with the love of Christ on our side, even though it's an eruption of new life, it still feels a whole lot like dying. <laughs> you know what? It's supposed to. Change is supposed to feel like that. The path that begins with God's calling and ends in glory, I am sorry to say, that path passes directly through Golgotha along the way. Christmas Day, man, Christmas Day is beautiful, but it's a long, hard path between the manger and salvation. But when the massacre of the infants have passed, when Egypt is behind us, when Nazareth and Galilee have fallen away, when the cross has passed into memory and the stone rolls away, what emerges next may it go by the same name but it'll be different than what came before. Unrecognizable even should you sit down to dinner with the man. Behold, I am doing a new thing. 
My friends, restoration is the discussion of the day in churches around the world. And the great temptation of restoration, it, it's probably the biggest temptation that I've ever come across. It's a temptation powered by grief and fear, a temptation that tells us that the most we can ever hope for is to return to the way that things used to be. But the truth, the truth is that even if we were able to do that, even if we could somehow become the exact same suit and tie, every pew filled, biggest game in town church that exists only in our memories, that's not what the world needs today. The instrument of God's justice, God's presence on earth did not look the same when Jesus came about as it did when Isaiah first set the tone for the people of Israel during that Babylonian exile. It didn't look the same when our grandparents turned up to church every week in their Sunday best while their children were left to wonder in silent awe at a great crowd of believers who all looked inexplicably the same. And it didn't look the same in the decades to come as our society moved towards greater heights of openness, inclusivity, and love while many of us stood back in silent judgment, or not too silent in some cases, of the love that other people had the audacity to share. Today, today we find ourselves living in a world that is just racked with division, where judgment and hatred run more rampant than ever before, where nearly 1% of the entire population of the United States, 2 million people, are prisoners, where 69% of the total wealth of the country is held by less than 10% of the population, and where 17 million households cannot afford to eat consistently. We're living in a world where LGBTQIA youth attempt suicide at a rate four times higher than their peers, at a rate of about one every 45 seconds, simply because they've been told that the beautiful, wonderful creations of God that they are, are unwelcome and unloved in this world. Can we really fix this with hand bums and hymn sings? Is this really good news to the oppressed? Or do the brokenhearted need more than that to be bound up? Does liberating the captive and the prisoner take more than that? Does lifting up the lowly require more of us than that? To say nothing of bringing down the powerful from their thrones, does it require more than that to fill up the hungry with good things? To say nothing of sending the rich away empty? Or perhaps, like Mary, we've been given the responsibility, the opportunity of carrying something wondrously improbable, something long-awaited, which will change everything, though not in the way we expected. Maybe we, too, have a chance to be part of the ever-changing, ever-regenerating story of Christ Jesus in the world. Not a story of old ruins restored, but of a justice, mercy, and peace, which is truly fresh and truly new every morning. Behold, my friends, Christ Jesus is doing a new thing. And as Christmas comes once again, we have a chance to join in this new thing ourselves as a church that is regenerated in Christ and always still regenerating. Amen. Amen.